Jams, Creeps and Coffee podcast. Playback begins in three, two, one. Good evening. Rosemary West is tonight starting a prison sentence that will almost certainly last for the rest of her life. The jury at Winchester Crown Court found her guilty on seven more counts of murder today, to add to the three guilty verdicts yesterday. Her husband, Fred West, escaped justice by hanging himself in his prison cell on New Year's Day. The ten women and girls who were sexually tortured before they were killed may not have been the West's only victims. Tonight, police appealed for information about nine more young women who disappeared after visiting their home in Cromwell Street, Gloucester. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Crimes, Creeps and Coffee. I'm Charlotte and we have Nick with us this evening. We do. We do. But we have no Steph because she's off doing Makey Makey on a film. She is. But I'm not going to give any details of the film. Watch Steph's Instagram because I'm sure she's going to give you guys all the heads up when it comes out. And our intern is being a little brat. He has work. (laughs) He has an actual paying job. So he's not with us either. So... Mm. Today, you've just got me and Nick. Yeah, so just the two of us. Just the I two of us. I knew you'd sing that. I knew <laughs> when I'd say that, you'd start singing that. Can't help it. So, what you guys have just heard is the news reporter for the BBC. Can't remember his name. Michael Nick. Burke. Michael Burke. He's got a funny last name. Because <laughs> it's Burke. Do you get it? Charles, just take a minute. To yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. Do you get it? But Charlotte, he was talking. I do. Yeah, he was talking about the Rose West conviction, mm. and to be honest, I know very, very little about Fred and Rose West, even though <clears throat> they are British serial killers. Who was it we we covered a few weeks a few weeks past where they had a brief uh, oh, um, liaison with uh, with Rosemary West? Was it uh, Myra? It wasn't Myra Hindley, was it? No, it was somebody, no. wasn't it? Oh no, that was it. We mentioned it, Myra Hindley and Rose. I don't think it was. I think it was somebody else. Maybe Anybody. It, maybe it was a podcast or something we were watching. No, 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 I don't no, no. Know. We definitely talked about it. Maybe and they somebody were definitely having a bit of to and fro with Rose West. Yeah. Oh no, I was going to say Mary Bell then, but it wasn't Mary Bell. No, she'd be a bit young, even for Rose West. Mm, I can't remember. <laughs> but, but I love, I love the the watching that. I, 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 all I remember watching at my granddad's house was the news because that's all I was really allowed to watch because. The rest of TV was evil and satanic because he was a very religious man. Same as Coca-Cola Just and now you're addicted. being in a dark room watching the uh, news at nine. And they, 90s news presenters always talk to you if you've done something wrong. It's because most of feeling? society had done something wrong. Yeah, maybe. But they're like, yeah, calm down, Michael. I haven't done anything. <laughs> but you had. Yeah, I had. No, I don't know about much about Rose and um, Fred West. What's Fred short for? Frederick. Is it? Yes. That makes sense. Imagine that. That would make sense. <laughs> anyway, yeah. no, I don't know much about. I don't. I know they they had a house and they. Twenty five Cromwell Road. I know that much because mm. it was an, another BBC news thing I'd watched. Yes, but, but I'm going to be covering them in a couple of well, a couple of months. Mm. That in the garden, something to do with the garden. It y- wasn't to do with potting yeah. plants. I think they were plotting pl- plotting plants after they plotted humans. But what's the garden? Is the garden? Fred was to look at though, isn't he? Not really. I like a man, a burly man like that. No. He, was he a, looks like he could have a few pies and a play around the darts with you. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> but I found out, though, that Mary, not Mary, that's because of 
Rosemary. Rosemary West was 15 when she met Fred. And Fred was 27. Oh, So, yeah. But 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 love is love. Not at that age. That's a bit of a difference. I know people have had that kind of age difference. Not at that age. Yeah, at that age, I mean. (laughs) But not Your mum and dad have that age difference. 12 years. They met, like, when my mum was, like, 21. It's still 12 years, though, Charlotte. Ah, but it's okay when you get older. <laughs> so, have you got any interesting yes, stories this week? Yes, I've got a story. Week? Oh, one sec. Let me just reach around. Oh, he's doing a reach around. No, easy joke there. I gave that to you on a platter. You did. Right, uh, I, I posted this on Instagram a few weeks ago, but a week ago, rather. But there's been some developments, some interesting developments. So, um, the story is from, this, this version of the story is from the New York Times, prestigious rag uh russian professor found with bag of severed arms admits he killed student you've heard you've heard about yeah this, yeah. Right? yeah yeah i remember you telling me about it yeah so uh, so uh oleg sokolov a russian historian who made a career studying and impersonating napoleon bonaparte for some reason liked to be called sire don't we all pardon he liked to be called sire um okay we started planting that in our relationship I don't. I don't think we should. I think we're good. No, we're not good. <laughs> we're not good as long as you don't call me sire. Right. He also had a long history of seducing, seducing and being violent towards female students at a prestigious university. This is a quote from somebody. He thought he could do anything and look down on the world around him as if he really was Napoleon, said Linda Navarroza, the wife of a prominent Russian television personality who met Mr. Sokolov socially in St. Petersburg's in St. Petersburg, Russia's imperial era capital on monday however the once haughty haughty what does haughty mean Meh. high and mighty maybe maybe mr sokolov hoity 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 yes hoity toity thank you what did i say haughty, haughty. yes he's haughty that didn't know what it says mr sokolov 63 sobbed uncontrollably as he appeared in the st petersburg court to express deep repentance for killing and dismembering his 24 year old student and lover anastasia yushenko I am devastated, he said, probably through his tears. tears. Fake uh, tears, crocodile <laughs> tears, bullshit. On Saturday, Mr. Sokolov was fished out of the frigid Moika River in St. Petersburg. He had fallen in drunk along with a backpack containing the severed arms of Miss Yuchenko. A search of his apartment uncovered a decapitated corpse and local news media said he had planned to dispose of his victim's body parts in the river and then commit suicide, dressed as Napoleon. Oh my God, mate. No, please don't. That's the best bit. It is the best bit. Of <laughs> I'm sorry that this poor girl had to be dismembered. Mm. But Well, he's in character till the end. You've got to give him that. But no, Napoleon didn't dismember people. No, he doesn't, but he's he's, he's stuck he to his character. Did Napoleon complex? Well, I'd say it's more than a complex. Yeah. Yeah. Probably a way alive. Maybe he believed that he was Napoleon reincarnated. Mm, but that he, he just took the arms first. She's armless. Oh, my God. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> that was good. That was good. More murders should be committed whilst dressed as historical characters, I find. Um, A lot of murders are historical. No, whilst they're dressed... The murderer is dressed as a historical character. Oh, like, no, um, no, it's too much effort. I don't know. Bundy should have dressed up as, um, I don't know, Winston Churchill. You could have at least gone with an American one. Who's American historical? George Washington. George Washington. Um, Alexander Elvis. Hamilton. Elvis. There we go. That'd be a good one. Uh, I'm sure there is somebody out there who's done a murder dressed as Elvis. Probably Elvis. 
Maybe Elvis himself. Mm, yeah. Nah, who knows? He had some problems, didn't he? He had a he thing did. for Priscilla Presley was like underage when she was. She was fourteen, I think. Yeah, yeah, very odd. But yeah, yeah. So, who are you covering today? I'm covering the interesting story of the Hinterkaifeck murders. That's a good name. Sounds Maybe? like a spy novel. A uh, little bit. Really? Maybe. Oh. Yeah. Okay. But this one interests me for a many, many different reasons. Yes. And I'm going to fully apologise now because it's German. Greatest language apart from English. And I translated a lot of this f- with Google Translate. Hmm. So I can't guarantee everything is perfect. If suddenly it doesn't make sense, blame Google Translate, okay? It got me a B in French at school, Google yeah, Translate. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> right. So should we just go, go straight in? Let's Let's not mess around. So, I'm doing the Hinterkaifeck murders, and the Hinterkaifeck was a small farmstead that was located between two Bavarian towns of Ingolstadt and Schrobenhausen. I think I said them right. Yeah, good so far. Which is about 43 miles north of Munich. The farmstead was home to a family of five, as well as the family maid. I should just mention that I, I could speak German fluently as a child, so I'm going to pick you up on... Yeah, I know anything. you are. Hence, I, d- I did this a little bit honour of you because I know of your German mm-hmm. heritage and German is your motherland. Well, one of them, yeah. Half, yeah. half your fatherland, even. Yeah, let's deal with that. More close. But, yeah. So, upon this photo... Well, it's not a photo, it's a, <laughs> this a map. Photo. <laughs> this photo that is a map mm. <laughs> is basically the whereabouts it is within Germany. Yes. And I can't read the German in it. Neither can I, it's too blurry. It says Wo stand the Hof Hinterkaifak. That's all I know. And we stand f- f- with Hinterkaifakt. No, okay? That, no that that's not what that translates. <laughs> yes to. it is. No, it's, it's Charlotte. No it's not <laughs> that doesn't it's not what that means. Well what does it mean then? Um who who stands with um Hinterkaifakt. Yeah. What did you say? We stand. No, it's not we. Okay, well, I was close. I was close. The house was originally owned by Andreas and Cecil Gruber. Their widowed daughter, Victoria Gabriel... Oh, no, sorry, it means where is the Hinterkaifer. Oh, okay. Sorry, yeah. Okay, well, there we go. Not stand. Stand doesn't mean the same in English and German. Anyway, Uh carry on. So, the house was originally owned by Andreas and Cecil Gruber. Their widowed daughter, Victoria Gabriel, lived with them, along with Victoria's children... Cecile and Josef. They had recently acquired a new maid called Maria Buttengartner. What year is this taking place in the scene? 1922. Okay. So, before the horrible event took place, though, some strange things had been happening in and around Hinterkaifact. Six months before, the family maid quit, claiming that she heard strange sounds in the house and that she believed the house to be haunted. Mm. Andreas, the owner, had found... My middle name. Kind of, yeah. I had to think then. He found a newspaper from Munich on the property on March 1922. He couldn't remember buying it, and he began to believe the postman must have lost it on his route. This wasn't the case, though, as no one in the local area subscribed to the newspaper. And back in those days, you had to subscribe to get one delivered, especially as the paper Mm. was from Munich and it was so far away. This story isn't going to be about some ghostly disappearance of a newspaper, is it? Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. Because oh. like, cause Munich, don't forget, was 43 miles away. So mm. the only pl- newspapers they would have had is the local towns. Yeah. 
So, Andreas, he also told his neighbours that he discovered footprints in the newly fallen snow that led from the forest to the house. How far away is the forest from the house? Um, Reasonable? A reasonable distance. A couple hundred? A couple of hundred feet. You can see it from the house, the edge of the forest from the house. Okay. Um, So, was their farm in a clearing in the middle of a forest? It was, yeah, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, Kind of like your house here, but... Mm, Fair enough. And it was as close to, as where your house is to the main road. Okay. Yeah, so a couple hundred feet. Yeah. The footprints, they led from the forest to a broken door in the farm's machine room. Okay. Was this alone wasn't the unsettling thing. It was more so the fact that no footprints led away from the house. Okay. And nobody in that household had been out except to go to the yard to feed the cattle. Had somebody been diddling with the machinery, did they find? Nope. But no. don't forget, there's no footprints going away from the house. Yes, yeah, so, um, Yes, but I'm asking, did they find anything afoot in the, the barn? Or Maybe. The... Maybe. Well, they did Maybe. or they didn't. Ah, we'll get into that. Okay. Okay. It's also around this time that some of the family's keys went missing, as well as many of the family members repeatedly observing a man with a moustache... Oh, my God, ...standing at the edge of the forest watching the house. Oh, my God. And all I can think of is he's got a Hitler tag. <laughs> That's was Hitler. all I can think of. It was of. young Hitler. Yes. Messing about with their keys and their yeah. tractor. Nine! Yes. <laughs> During oh, the good. evenings, the families could hear footsteps up in the <clears> attic. <throat> but when Andreas went up to search, he found that no one was there. Okay. Even though he told many people about these weird situations, he refused to accept help from them. And they went unreported to the police. I'm getting alien vibes from this. Yeah, a bit of X-Files going on. So, who were the Gruber family? I'll start with the oldest, Andreas Gruber himself. Andreas was born 9th of the 11th, 1858, in Grenzstraten, Germany, making him 63 at the time of his death. He was one of six children, and he married Cecile in 1886, and they became co-owners to Hinterkaifact. Okay. They had three children... Victoria, Sophie, and an unnamed baby. Wait, what? An unnamed, what, they forgot to name it? I'll explain why they didn't name the baby. Two of the children passed away suddenly. The unnamed baby was still born, while young Sophie lasted until she was two years old, which at the time was more understandable, as life was hard back then. Mm, it was, yeah. People, kiddies would die all the time. Yeah. In 1914, he handed over the rights to the farm to Victoria and lived on the farm as a contractor. People in the town stated that Andreas was a miserable old man who wasn't particularly polite to anyone or anything. So, so how many of the daughters survived? Just one? Just one. Just one. Victoria. Victoria. Okay. As well as the fact that between 1907 and 1910, he had an incestuous relationship with his daughter, Victoria. Yes, it's in there. Incest. And in 1915, he was convicted of crimes against morality and was sent to prison for a year. What about her? What did she get? In 1919, their neighbour Lorenzo Schlittenbauer reported him to the police for incest again, as there was a whole thing about Victoria's child, which I'll touch on in a moment. Hmm. What's happened to, um, what's his wife's name? Cecil. 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 Is she still about? I'll get into that. Okay. Schlittenbauer withdrew his statement, and I'll mention again why in a minute. Okay. So, whoosh. Cecile was born on 27th of the 11th, 1849, in Glorschbach, Germany, making her 72 at the time of her death. Okay. So, so she, she was, was a cougar. She was. Do you want to been... do it? No. Row. Row. There we go. Somebody's outside whistling. I went row and then somebody whistles. That's a bit <laughs> weird. 
it's probably just a pervert in the bushes or something. <laughs> Somebody with binoculars in the tree. Oh, I don't like that. Don't do that. Cecile had been married once before to a man named Yosef Assaim, but the gentleman passed away in 1885. Just under a year later, she married Andreas, who had been a servant of hers. Oh, really? Yeah. Did um, her previous husband die in a suspicious circumstance? No, Did a no, no suspicious circumstances. Bricks fall on him or he something? He just or? passed away naturally in his sleep. Naturally, okay, I think he was poisoned. Uh, but uh, I don't. there's no proof of that. That's just me no, speculating. Well, you don't need proof of facts. Not much is recorded about Cecile, apart from that she had five children with Yosef. Wow, she was uh, productive. Yeah. Mm. Many of those children passed away at young ages too. What's she doing? Yeah. She just letting them out, letting them free at yeah, an early be wild. age. And, yeah, as soon as they yeah. pop out. Victoria was born 6th the 2nd, 1887 in Hinterkaifact itself. Okay. Any reason why that date would be important? 1887, 100 years before I was born? No. 6th of the 2nd? No, no, okay. 6th of the 2nd? Oh, Hitler's birthday. Hitler wasn't born on the 6th of the 2nd. He was know. brought of 6th of... The I don't know. What, go, don't, don't keep me in suspense what's so important about that date. I was born, except not in oh, 1987. Yes. Of course, not 1987. You were born in 89. Yeah. Yes, very important day. Oh, uh, clearly. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Victoria was 35 when she died. Victoria married Carl Gabriel on the 3rd of the 4th, 1914, but shortly after he was ser- sent to serve his country and died in December that year. The Their daughter Cecile was born the 9th of the 1st, 1915. On the 22nd of the 5th, 1915, the Victoria was sentenced to a year in prison for, for the incest with her father. Okay. On the 7th of the 9th, 1919, she gave birth to her son, Yosef. Now, I know you're going to ask, wait a minute, but her husband's dead. I wasn't going to ask that. Well, it'd be good if you did. What was... What? Wait, wait, wait. Her husband is dead. Yes. There's no question mark there. Isn't her who's husband the, dead? Who's the question father? Question mark? Who is the father? Question mark. Well, she was said to have an intimate relationship with Lorenz Schlittenbauer. And the day after Yosef's birth, she Wait, told that y- him, Lorenz. Who's he? The guy that accused oh, Andreas yes, of the yes, and then dropped it. Yes, got incest. You. Got yeah. You. So the day after Yosef's birthday, she told him that Yosef was his. Schlittenbauer refused the paternity. Announced the day after the on the tenth that Victoria and Andreas were sleeping together again. Ah, so it could have been a ruse. And Yosef had to be Andreas's. Got you. Got you. At the urging of Victoria, he withdrew his statement on the 25th. Yes. Okay. She paid him to withdraw okay. his statement. Yes. And recognised Joseph as his own son. It okay. was said that Victoria was part of the church choir and would attend choir practices regularly. So what does what does history say, say about this in hindsight? Was it Lorenz's or was it Andreas's, her father's? According to court, like legal documents, it's Schlittenbauer's. Yeah, but has there been no analysis, you know, people looking back on it and stuff? And No. No? No conclusive? No conclusive. Okay. So the younger Cecile Gabriel was born, like I said, on the 1st of the 9th, 1915, and was aged seven when she died. Cecile lived on the farm with her mother and attended a local school. It was reported by one of Cecile's school friends that on the 31st of the 3rd, 1922, Cecile had fallen asleep during class as she had been up all night looking for her mother. She did not return to school after that incident. Okay. Did Lorenz move in with Victoria? No. No. He they had the farm. St- he was the neighbour. 
Yeah, but they they, they never no. got together properly. No, they just no. he was married. Oh, right. That's I was yeah. getting into that in a bit. Oh, yes. But yeah, he was married. Soap opera going on in With his own German family village. to his mm. second wife. His first wife died before. A lot of people die. People die all the time. Yeah. You can have a conversation with somebody by the end, they might be dead. Yeah. So, lastly, there was Yosef. Well, not lastly. Lastly, out of the family members, there was Yosef. He was born the 7th of the 9th, 1919. He was just two when he died. He took on the surname Gruber, which is a little bit strange considering that Schlittenbauer was his name on the birth certificate. Okay. Lastly, there was Marie. Marie was born the 2nd of the 10th, 1876, in Kulbach. Oh, this is, sorry, we go back to Andreas and No, Sutras. Marie is the, the maid. There's five people that live in the house, five yes. family members. Andreas, Cecile, Victoria, younger Cecile, and Joseph. Okay. There's also a family maid, Marie. Oh, right. Okay, sorry. So, Marie was born the 2nd of the 10th, 1876. She never married and was only 35 when she passed. It was said that Marie had a mental disability and found it difficult to gain work as many people did not want a mentally handicapped person as a maid or even in their village. She arrived at Hinterkaifat on March the 31st, 1922. She was murdered a few hours later. Ooh. So, on to the murder and the unusual moments leading up to its discovery. Yes. I will answer questions... Yes. Towards the end, okay? <laughs> you really telling me that? Yes, I'm telling you to hold them in, okay? Because okay. it does things do make sense when one like at the end a little bit more so, okay? They're a bit hazy to begin with. Don't deep sigh me. So on the first of April, <laughs> on the first of April, the school noticed that Cecile is missing from class. A marker down as non-attendance. Two coffee salesmen knocked on the door at Hinterkaifat around 12pm but did not get a response. During the evening, carpenter Michael Pollock passed by the farmhouse. He noticed the smoke coming out from the chimneys and carried on his way. A can, little bit further down the road... Can I have one question? Can I have one question? Uh, go on. So who at this point is in living in that house? Everybody I've mentioned apart from Schlittenbauer and Michael Pollock. And... But two of their children died young, didn't they? So you've got Andreas. Yes. Older Cecile. Yes. Victoria. Yes. Younger Cecile. Okay. Yosef. Yes. And the maid, Marie. Sorry. It's because all the names are the same. Yeah, this is where this is I why struggled. This is fucking confusing. And they, can you yeah. imagine when I'm translating, there is yeah, no definition they, between they, the different they, of Cecile's. They kept name, naming alive children after dead children. This is why I'm getting... Or even after the grandmothers. Muddled. Yes. So Cecile and Yosef... Even though they were in the names of previous dead children, are Victoria's new children. Of Victoria's children, yes. Got you. The okay. dead children yes. are the oldest Cecile and Andreas's children. Yes. Okay? Too, d- dead children. Mm, yeah. Too many dead children. So, all right, rewind a little bit. Blah, 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 blah. So, two coffee salesmen knocked on the door at Hinterkaifat around 12pm. Nobody answered. There's a question there. During the evening, carpenter Michael Pollock passed by the farmhouse and noticed smoke coming from the chimneys. Carried on his way, but mm. a little bit further down, he was stopped and blinded by a stranger with a flashlight. Oh. Carried on his way. Could it have been an alien? Maybe, maybe. On the 2nd of April, Victoria's friends went to pick them up for worship, but again, no one answered. For the Grubers to miss church, this was a very strange thing. 
Later on that day, the son of a farmer called Sigal from Rachel Raquel back, I think I said that right, went to buy some livestock, but again, no one answered the door. On the 3rd of April, postman Josef Meyer did his usual round and later stated in 1952 that he, quote, I stuck the newspaper as usual to the kitchen window. The only thing that struck me was that I did not see the stroller standing in the kitchen as usual. The kitchen door itself was half open. He also noticed that Sunday's mail was where he st- left it. Okay. On the 4th of April, Albert Hoffner arrived at 9am to repair the head gasket of the Gruber's diesel engine. When mm. he arrived to Hinterkaifach, the garden gate was closed and locked. So he went around the house to look for the family. He found the back door closed and looked through the window to see if he could spot the family. He heard a barking of the dog inside the house and in the field the noise of cattle could be heard. He waited about an hour, hour, but when the family didn't show up, he went to the north side of the building and began to repair the engine for around four hours. Throughout his time there, he sang and whistled whilst working, so that if the Grubers arrived home, they would know he was there. When he left, he noticed the barn door was open for all to see. He turned around and went to the front door and found the barking dog tied up nearby and unharmed. The dog was outside? The dog was outside. Okay. The Grubers had a yellow yellow Spitzel dog who was described as being a good and watchful dog who was always alert but locked in the stable slash barn every night. Later that day, witnesses found the dog in the stable with the door closed. Uh. It had an injured eye and he was disturbed and aggressive to anyone who approached him. Hoffner went back through the garden gate. Yes. What did I say the garden gate was to begin with? Closed and locked. Oh, okay. But when he left, it was open. Oh, right. So why he'd he'd been working, somebody had, yes, unlocked okay. it. So he, and then he left. He shut it on his way back. Yes. Okay. It was on his way home, he spotted Lorenz Schlittenbauer and his sons, Johann and Josef. Hoffner told Schlittenbauer that there was no one at the at Hinterkaifecht. Schlittenbauer sent his sons to see if everything was all right, and when they returned home at 3.30pm and confirmed there was nobody there, he became worried. Yes. Schlittenbauer, his sons, and their neighbours, Michael Pohl and Jakob Sigel, all went to Hinterkaifeck to check. When they get there, the grown men go into the barn, whilst the st- sons stay outside. They notice that the door next to the barn is closed but broken the door to the it, the engine room okay because like you had your, your main barn yep then you had a, a door which had the diesel engine and it, stuff that's the room where the chappy was working all day no he, they had two they had the diesel engine here like next to the barn yes and they also had the vehicle diesel engine which is what he was working oh, right. on sorry because okay. he was working on the head gasket okay upon entering the barn they find four bodies Schlittenbauer originally states that he stayed alone in the stables whilst Paul and Sigel went to search the house. But he later changes that to they all go into the house where they find two more bodies. The maid in her room and young Yo- and young Yosef in his cot. How old was Yosef at this point? Young Yosef was two. Yeah. Two. 
Paula and Sigal leave with Schlittenbauer's oldest son, Joseph. Are we still alive? No. Oh, they took his dead body? No. Well, Schlittenbauer also has another son oh called Joseph. Oh, my fucking God. Stop naming your <laughs> children all the same name. There's only like two names in this story. <laughs> so they all go and get the police. Okay. Schlittenbauer stays at Hinterkaifecht. Yes. The mayor of the town notified the police in Howenwart, whilst another town person telephoned the police in Schrobenhausen. By this time, the news had reached the others in the town and they began to flock to the crime scene to have a look. That happened a lot back in the day, didn't it? It did, considering it was said that the onlookers walked all over the crime scene and helped themselves to food from the kitchen. Wow. AKA, don't do that, guys. Yes. At 6pm, the police from Hohenwarten arrived and they rang the criminal police in, in Munich. When the police arrived from Schrobenhausen, they locked down the scene so that no more onlookers could enter. It wasn't until 9.30pm that evening the police from Munich left Munich. They arrived at the town just after midnight, which, of course, was too late to do any work. Well, it's 1922. They're not going to do much work anyway. What can they do? Have a look around. Exactly. So... What do you think would be worse, stealing somebody's food at a crime scene or using their toilet? Which is more disrespectful. Um, I think possibly using their toilet. Mm. So, up on screen is the Hinterkai fact. It's well kept. It is. So, this building here. Yes, the barn. Is the barn. Yes. This is the main house. Yes. And this is a cattle shed. Okay. Who's that dark figure? Dun, dun, dun. You don't know, do you? I don't know. No. no. So, yeah, that's Hinterkai fact. I was, I was going to ask, why have they got large numbers painted on the side of the house? But then I realised that's that's written on the photograph. Yeah, yeah, probably written on the photograph, Nick. <clears throat> yeah. So, on the 5th of April, the Munich police headed to the crime scene. They interviewed Schlittenbauer, Sigal, Franziska Schäfer, who was Marie's sister. Cecile Staringer, Staringer, who was... I've not written this down. Don't tell me that's another Cecile. That's another Don't Cecile. Don't tell me that's another yeah. Cecile. But this one was kind of connected to Schlittenbauer. Okay. It was there they took the five crime scene photos. Okay. The first photo... There we go. Is of Marie's bedroom. The maid's bedroom. The maid's bedroom. Where's the body there? I can't see. Can you zoom in? The body is there. Oh, no. Can you zoom in? I can't really see a hand. There's a hand. Oh, yeah. She's, um... Is that her bed on the right? That's her bed, yeah. Beds were really thin. Yeah, they were tiny. That's a tiny bed. I'm more more astonished than the dead body. I think I've seen too many dead bodies at this point. The first body that the police looked at was Marie's. Okay. She had been unpacking when her attacker killed her. I could see blood. Yeah. Yes. He then covered her body with the bed sheets, which is the checkered thing on the left-hand side floor you can see. Oh, I thought that was the, like a cart or something. No, that's her that's quilt. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Was that was that room locked or anything? No. No. That's, this is in the house. Yes. No, I'm just yeah. wondering in case but, the murderer had locked the room or something like that. Kind of going to get to that in a minute, okay? Did he? 
He didn't lock the room. Yes. He kind of used the house. In what sense? He lived there. Uh, oh, right. I see where this is going. But do you? Well, the footsteps from years before. It wasn't from years before. It was from the March. Oh, was it from March? Okay, sorry. I thought it was this, the before. footsteps were in March. The we deaths got, happened in April. We got somebody in the attic. But there's nobody in the attic. Andreas went up and searched. Okay, well, the floor, under the floorboards. Then. He's going to be somewhere, but let's crack on. The police then looked at Yosef's body, who was in his crib in his mother's bedroom. His crib is more of a pushchair as such. Yeah, it's, it's very old, old school. Yeah. The killer had struck him and then covered him beneath one of Victoria's dresses, which you can see above the crib. Uh, asked, well, the reason I asked for the, the if the if the, the rooms were locked because in in the other room as well the keys are on the outside of the door. Yeah, like they've been locked or could be locked. From that. yeah, so I just wondered that's why. But um, oh hello. The police then moved on to the barn where the four remaining bodies were. Can you zoom in. The killer had managed to call the group as out one by one and murder them. I see two bodies. I'm guessing that's Andreas and Victoria. Oh, bear with me. He then piled the bodies on top of each other, hiding ah. the previous one underneath hay. Oh, okay. So, yeah, you can see the bodies, but there is also two more bodies underneath there. Well, one more body underneath there. Is, is the one on the left been decapitated? No. No, just how they're lying. That's, yeah, just how they're laying. Okay, I see blood again, though. Yeah. On the 6th and 7th of April, Dr. Johan Bar Amula autopsied the victims in the courtyard of the Hinterkaifakt estate. Do you say Bauer? Bula. Amula, sorry. Okay, sorry, I thought it was a relative. Well, Schlittenbauer might be a relative. Maybe. Andreas was said to be dressed in only a shirt and pants, which is more in line with pyjamas, not the usual daytime clothing. Okay. His face was badly injured that with large open <clears throat> wounds that exposed the cheekbones. Uh, well, slashes or, or blunt wounds? Blunt force trauma. Oh, okay. The older Cecile wore her everyday clothes. She had received seven blows to the head, causing her skull to shatter. She also had bruising near her right eye. Victoria was found lying above her mother in her everyday clothes, but she did not have any shoes on. She was also oh, the socks I can see, yeah. Yeah. She was also found with her skull completely shattered, but she'd also suffered from strangulation marks as well as nine star shaped wounds around her face. Star shaped? Yeah. Spurs? I from don't her know. Boot? I don't know. I'll, I'll get to stuff. Okay. The young Cecile was laying by the wall next to the door. She was barefooted and was wearing her sleepwear. Her body had been moved during the search by Schlittenbauer. Okay. She suffered from a fractured skull. Her lower jaw had been shattered. She had cervical injuries due to shock. There was a wide gaping traverse wound on her neck. You mean she was sexually abused? No. What do you mean cervical injuries due um, to shock? Basically, you can, as a woman... You could, your body can go into that state of shock. Yeah. That it tries to protect itself so you can get cervical wounds to the cervix. So like, so your tension, like tightening the muscles and stuff. Oh, okay. And 
I'm presuming that she tightened them that much because she was petrified. Yeah. And in agony that she managed to lacerate them. Oh, right. Okay. But the thing is, though, none of those wounds killed her. So go over what she had again, sorry. She had a fractured skull. Just a fracture. Just a fracture. No bleeding on the brain or anything from that fracture? No. Okay. Her lower jaw had been completely shattered. Yeah. She had cervical injuries that came due to the shark. Mm-hmm. And a traverse wound across her neck. Traverse? What does traverse mean? As in, like, you're scratching yourself. Oh, okay. Yeah? Like I said, they didn't kill her, but she did die. From she died to, due to blood loss. And if she'd been found just one day before, mm. she would have survived. Oh, right, okay. Dr. Amola knew that she'd been alive for a long time after her attack as she had pulled several clumps of her own hair out of her head and they were still grasped in her hands. Yeah. Marie, like I said, had been unpacking her things with her back to the door when her attacker came in behind her and bludgeoned her seven times, managing to leave wounds four centimetres deep. Her body was found partially underneath the bed in a pool of her own blood. Yes, I saw the pool on the photo. Yosef was, like I mentioned, found in his cot. He'd been just hit once on the right temple and brain splatter could be found on the top of the cot's roof. So somebody just leant into the cot and and hit him. Or didn't even lean, they just whacked in one. Hmm. Very quick, these, these, aren't they? Yeah, well... It's like somebody going very quickly from room to room, not really spending much time. Well, especially in those two. Yeah, definitely. Dr. Johanna Muller concluded that they had all been murdered the evening of March the 31st to the early morning of April 1st. Okay. All of the victims had been killed after being bludgeoned with a pickaxe or a similar object numerous times on the skull, apart from Yosef, who had received a single blow. He then removed the heads and sent them away for further testing in Munich. At this time, they believed they could gather further evidence from this. Yes. But... Can I ask a question? I, I'm going to assume that the four people in the barn, well, the little girl died in the barn. Yeah, they all died. All the four, Andreas, the older Cecil, the younger Cecil, and Victoria died in the barn. They definitely died in that room. They weren't put there because they have been arranged in some no, way. No, they were definitely put, um, definitely killed there. They're in, they're in like a pile of hay or something, aren't they? So if, they are, yeah. They've been was, covered with hay. So if I was going to make an assumption, he somehow got them, or she, we don't know if it's he, somehow got them to come in one by one, killed one, hid the body, got the next one in, yeah. killed them. Yeah. And did it like that, like a train almost. Yeah. Yeah? Am I correct in that assumption? You are very correct in that okay. assumption. One well, yes. as correct as you can be, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Okay. You know what I mentioned about he cut the heads off and sent it to Munich? They got lost, didn't they? They did. Yeah. They did. Well, it was, it was sort of 1922. Um, air raid in the Court of Justice in World War Two. Yeah. And no, they're not even found nowadays. Nobody knows where they are. What do, what do you mean? This was 1922. There wouldn't have been an air raid. Yeah, but they were kept in hiatus, in research, in... I thought you said they were lost. 
They're lost, yeah, in an air raid in well, World War Two. Yeah, but that's 17 years after this. But there's a reasoning why they would... It's prominent that they've been lost then. Why? And I get into it in a minute. Oh, why can't you just tell me now? Stop doing that. Stop teasing with the information. Just fucking tell me now. No, no. So the police initially thought... It's very frustrating for I the know, listeners. I know, The listeners are screaming. Eh? I know, I can hear them crying out just <clears> as much as I can hear you. <laughs> just tell me where the fucking heads went. Nope. The police initially thought that the motive was robbery, but when a large amount of money was found in the house, they abandoned this theory. Mm. It was clear that whoever did it stayed in the house over several days as someone had fed the cattle eaten the entire supply of weekly bread, and even cut meat from the pantry. And with the doors being opened and shut in the barn and yeah. whatnot. It was, if the motive was robbery, then the perpetrator would have easily found the money because they spent such a significant time in the house. You said that, going back to the dog, you said the dog was quite protective, didn't you? Yeah, he so, was a very protective dog. So the dog must have been familiar with the person who tied them up. Yeah. Insinuating that. They were either known to the family or, or had some kind of familiarity with the dog itself. Yeah. On the 8th of April, the victims were buried in Wadenhofen. That is them all lined up. Hmm. Obviously, these photos will be up on socials, so. But yeah, that's all the bodies lined up. A local oh. newspaper wrote. And I quote, after the court commission released the bodies of the six murders as after the dissection, the funeral of the six victims took place on Saturday. The number of participants who wanted to give their last escort to the murdered was exceedingly numerous. From near and far, probably 3,000 people came rushing. It was a staggering sight as the bridge car came in with the six coffins, accompanied by the entire school youth. Well, they'd got free food at the crime scene, so they thought, yeah. oh, I don't know what we're going to get at the funeral. After H.H. H. Pastor House had made the blessing as the southern entrance to the cemetery, the unfortunate victims of the crime were found in a mass grave. The, uh, the adults to the left and right with the two children in the middle. Mr. Pope House portrayed in the biblical account of Cain and Abel in striking words what murder in God's eyes was terrible and how only a man who had no spark of belief in God in his heart can be carried away to such a terrible act because you do not even shy away from the murder of innocent children. Immediately after the funeral, the first St. Eucharist service for the murdered in the church. It turned out to be too small to accommodate all of those who suffered. Who what, sorry? Who suffered. Meaning, who turned up for the funeral? Yeah. Describe them as sufferers. I doubt all those people I, knew I'm them. I'm sorry, this is the German translation of a newspaper. Okay, fair enough. No, I'm just, if that, maybe that's the, the word they use. But yeah, maybe, but I literally just, Google translated this. They're just busybodies. <laughs> yeah, they were, they'd gone to already to, like, their morbid curiosity was mm. exceedingly high. They had gone to the crime scene. Well, I guess it's entertainment, there's probably not, yeah. not a lot to do around this area in Germany at the time. In 1923, so a year after the death, Carl Gabriel Sr., Victoria's dead husband's father, tore down the property with the help of the local neighbours. They found the murder weapon, a mattock, which is similar to the pickaxe, and handed it straight away to the police. 
and that's what a mattock looks like. Oh, right, yeah. We've got one of those. Have we? Well, not you, I have. Oh, okay. It's for, it's for digging up uh, sort of clay earth. Yeah. Yeah. Years later, a marker would be placed on the site to remember the victims. Really? Yeah. Oh, sorry, I thought you meant one of those. Oh, no, no. I thought you meant they just stuck one in the ground. No. Okay. Now on to the suspects. Yes. Carl Gabriel. Yep, that's right, Victoria's dead husband. He's dead. Carl was reportedly killed in December 1919. However, his body was never recovered. How was he reportedly killed? He was reported by the army as died. In what, in what circumstance? Though, in the war. Well, the war ended in 1918. That'd be a bit, a bit of a shitty lie. Maybe I got the date wrong then. Okay. In nineteen eighteen you think then? No, nineteen nineteen. Well that wouldn't be the war. Well it was it said the war. We couldn't be couldn't Oh well be. I'm sorry. <laughs> he died while on active duty yes. in the army. Okay. Yeah. Yes. But his body was never recovered. Okay. After the murders, people began to wonder if he did actually die in the war. Well I'm wondering if he died in the war because he obviously didn't. Some say that Carl was killed. Carl had killed the family to seek revenge for Victoria's promiscuity. With her father. Slash Lorenz Schlittenbauer. Yes. Soldiers from Carl's regiment, though, testified it that no, Carl actually did die in the war. Yeah, it can't be 1918. The police were inclined to believe them. Yeah, fair enough. They've got no reason to lie. Lorenz Schlittenbauer. Hmm. After the death of his first wife, it was said that Schlittenbauer had a relationship with Victoria and the result was Josef. He came under the suspicion of the locals who reported it to the police because his behaviour when he found the bodies was a little bit odd to say the least. When Schlittenbauer and the rest came to investigate, they had to break open the gate to enter the yard. But as soon as they found the bodies, Schlittenbauer suddenly had a key to open the front door. Hmm. Why would why would he have a key? Well, I guess neighbours might give neighbours keys. Yeah. When they first found the bodies, he began moving them around, according to him, to see who there, who was there. Then he entered the house on his own, supposedly to look for his son. He had compromised all of the evidence that was there, in the house and in the barn. Why the hell would he do that? Well, because people, when they're upset, don't think straight. So I don't think that's... that's an indictment of his guilt. Or it could be also a case of if they did find evidence that he'd been there previously, he'd be like, well, I moved the bodies. I found the bodies. Because he was a bit eager to send his sons to go and look, considering that the family wasn't particularly well-liked. Oh, they did not have much contact with them? No. Well, yeah, I mean, it's odd then that he'd have a key. But I guess uh, searching for his son, y- you probably wouldn't give much regard to, to evidence and things like that. And this is the time before they, they knew about DNA and yeah, and that kind of procedural crime scene analysis. So looking for his son, the barn would be... Who did he find first? The people in the barn. So, yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense that he might have been looking under those bodies for his son and he, he would have disturbed him and been upset. Yeah. So I, I don't buy that in a, as yeah. a, a sign of guilt. Next is the Grump Brothers. The Grump Brothers? Is that a descriptive turn or their name? <laughs> That's their name. Oh. It was said that Adolf Grump was in Adolf a relationship. Adolf Grump? Yeah. 
was in a relationship with Victoria. Was However, everybody in a relationship? I with think Victoria. she was a bit loose, loose, mora- loose, loose morals. Loose sink ships. Mm. However, no evidence could be found to prove this claim. It was said that with the help of three others, Adolf Grump had caused the death of nine people in Sicil. I think I said that right. A Sicilia. S-I-L-E-S-I-A. It's in Germany somewhere. Okay. Anton Grump was investigated in 1951 as the sister of both brothers had claimed on her deathbed that her brothers were the ones who committed the murders. Well, how... That's it. Okay, fair enough. Carl S. and Andreas S. Were they local bad boys, were they, the Grumps? I think they were, yeah. (laughs) They were a rough and tumble bunch. So, Carl S. and Andreas S. In 1971, a lady named Teresa T. wrote a letter telling of the event in her childhood. At the age of 12, she had witnessed her mother receive a visit from the mother of the two brothers. The mother claimed that her sons were the murderers and that Andreas regretted losing his penknife. When the farm was demolished in 1920... Another Andreas? Yeah. Fuck's sake. In, when the farm was demolished in 1922, a pocket knife had been found that could not be claimed by anyone. Okay. And um, yeah. 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 In 2007, Buck Police Academy investigated the case once more. This time using modern investigation techniques. Yep, good. They concluded that after all of this time, it is impossible to solve the crime as too much time has passed. Evidence is missing or was never taken from the farm. Crime scene sketches were never made. Fingerprint traces never taken or if they were, not properly preserved. They did consider one person to be the main suspect though. Yeah. But refused to name them out of the respect of the still living relatives. As of today... This case is still unsolved. What do you mean for respect for their relatives? They're still living relatives. It doesn't matter if their relative was a murderer. I mean... Oh, but if my relative was a murderer, I would rather know. Yeah, of course. And because you said you were going to explain he was already in the house. So what uh, happened with these footprints and stuff? There is no... Nothing. Oh, you teased this like it was somebody living in the house. There could be. He could have left when... Um... The man that did the... Yeah, so the murderer would be that person that was sauntering around on that day. Yeah, the, but they don't was know who it was. unlocking gates and things. Yeah. But what about the footprints leading into the house? Nobody knows who they are. Nobody could match any footprints. Well, the footprints probably wouldn't have existed when the police were there. It's been days since, or months. Well, yeah, a, a month. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a frustrating story because it's got... Yeah. Yeah, but I guess I guess that unsolved cases are. They by are, definition that, and the is. thing is, though, it's still going. Well, it's obviously still, now they're it's still, There's a website for like web sleuths and stuff like that. Yeah. But I did have a little think though, and I wonder the psycho like the psychology of some of the things. Hmm. So why someone would kill someone in the in that way, like the way that the Gruber family died. Had the, had the police asserted that they were taken in one by one? Yeah, or yeah somehow they did that. Got they in said one that by one? Who was at the bottom of the pile? Technically, it would have been Cecile, but Schlindenbauer had moved her body to see if Yosef was there. So, okay, so the it order they were placed. Younger Cecile? Younger Cecile, who is yeah. how odd. 
Sorry? Who is how old? Seven. Seven. And then Victoria, who obviously had come looking for her daughter. Yep. And then Cecile, the older. Yes. Who had obviously come looking for her daughter and grandchild. Yes. And then Andreas, who was like, where is my women folk? And how old is older Cecile? 73. Oh, at this point, 73. Yeah, when she died, she was 73. I was going to say that there'd be an order of like, but I'd imagine of like how physically capable they were but Cecile is mm. out of that pattern but it does I mean you could easily get like if he if he or she I'm going to assume it's a he to overpower six people it would probably be a he to um, to make the child scream to get the mother running in but they would have all come running and if you hear a child scream and you think well I thought th- Cecile Younger was by the door and still alive right? yeah but she moved herself so she wasn't she wasn't the first to be killed then. She was technically the first to be wo- wounded. How do they know that? Because of how the bodies were stacked. Okay. Does that make sense? So basically, Cecile was laying there. She'd had hay put over her. She's unconscious at this point. Oh right. Okay. Got then you. Then Victoria you. was placed on top. Got you. I thought I thought she was attacked and left by the door. Sorry. No. And then she's woken up and crawled out yes. beneath her grandparents. Got you. Yes. Okay. Okay. So yeah, I mean, you attack the child, and the the, the mother hears it and comes running. Um, you know, but attack. they would all come. The grandparents would come running too. Yeah, they would, but they wouldn't necessarily come running at the same time, would they? But to bludgeon somebody takes I mean, it's quite, quite a bit yeah, of time. It's, well, I mean, not with one of them. Not with them. And the person things. that whack like is using one of them to whack somebody with that's mm. got to take some brute force. It does, yeah. That's that's why I say it's probably not a woman. Yeah. Um, but then German women are a little bit more <laughs> they are than hardy. us British. They are hardy. I don't. It's. It's, 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 yeah, I guess it's a thing of the times. It's like Jack the Ripper's never going to be solved because yeah. police then weren't particularly capable at solving crimes. No. But I did have a look into <clears> the <throat> psychology of a few things. Okay. So, why did the murderer stay and why would he possibly play mind games with them? Psychopath. To take a look into that would be a whole episode on its own because there is multiple different facets to that. But to better understand that, we need to take a look at the murderer's behaviour. Or in another term, profile them. Informal criminal profiling has a long history. It was used in the early, as early as the 1880s when two physicians, George Phillips and Thomas Bond, used crime scene clues to make predictions about British serial murderer Jack the Ripper. Mm. About his personality. Yeah. In 1974, the the FBI formed the Behavioural Analysis Science Unit to investigate the serial rape and homicide cases. From 1976 to 79, several FBI agents, most famously John Douglas and Robert Resler, interviewed 36 serial murders to develop theories and categories of different types of offenders. One day we'll have a podcast where we don't mention John Douglas. Most notably, they developed the idea of organised and disorganised dichotomy. Organised crimes are premeditated and carefully planned, so little evidence is found at the scene. Organised crimes, according to this classification scheme... Sorry, organised criminals, according to this classification 
scheme are antisocial but no right from wrong are not insane and show no remorse disorganized crimes in contrast are not planned and criminals leave such evidence as fingerprints and blood disorganized criminals may be young under the influence of alcohol or drugs or mentally ill they took a look at four different types of crime phases the antidote which is a fantasy or plan or both did the murderers have in place before the act what triggered the murderer to act some days and not others the method and the manner what type of victim or victims did the murderer select what's the method and the manner of the murder shooting stabbing strangulation or something else the body disposable sorry the body disposal did the murderer did the murder and body disposal take place all at one scene or multiple scenes the post offensive behavior is the murderer trying to interject himself into the investigation by reacting to media reports or contacting the investigators hmm. mcrae says he believes that they were right more than wrong though and emphasizes that fbi methods have improved since then in the meantime psychologists have been helping to step up profiling scientific rigor some psychologists have been conducting their own criminal profiling research and they have developed soon several new approaches much of this work comes from applied psychologist david Cantor, phd who founded the field of investigative psychology in the early 90s and now runs the Centre for Investigative Psychology at the University of Liverpool in the UK. Oh, so he's basically the British John Douglas. So so what's has there been a profile created for the killer of this murder? There has. Okay. They suggest that he is an organised killer. Yes. An organised criminal. Because if you look at the factors that the FBI included... Mm-hmm. He had a, well, he knew what he wanted. He planned it. Yep. The, it, the amount of time he, he spent there, he wasn't rushed. Yeah, he wasn't rushed. He didn't think, I need to get out of the way. Yeah. They suggested that it's a male. Mm-hmm. It has anger issues. Yeah. So it, and that was all that modern behavioral analysis. Oh, was that it? Yeah. Oh. Okay, so my next question then was, was it the village, Schlittenbauer, or somebody else completely? The village? The village. The village murdered them? The village. What do you mean, the village? I'll get into that. So when we think about serial killings, we think about random strangers that populate the media in the last decade or so, but... It could be due to the media that we now know of them. Mm. Professor Kevin Hattity, who is a professor of sociology and criminology, and Ariane Elbrook, a PhD psychology student, wrote that it may be more. And this is a direct quote. Mass urbanization is a distinct characteristic of the modern era, something that has been profoundly altered the nature of the human relationships by virtue of generating an unprecedented degree of anomaly. Anonymity. Anonymity. You can't say it now either. I can't. Anonymity. No, I'm not going to get there. In pre-modern societies, (coughs) individuals knew one another by name, often Mm. having intimate knowledge of their neighbour's family history, their daily routines and personal predilections. 
Predilitations. I can't say that one either. Predilections. That one. Strangers were rarely encountered, and when encountered were the subject of rumour and suspicion. Mm, yep. The average medieval citizen might only have met a hundred strangers during the course of their entire life. And that psychologist Brady wrote that in 1986. Mm. A number of markedly low but contemporary standards where one can confront hundreds of strangers simply on the daily commute to work is what we expect every day. Yeah. This development also proved to be a key precondition for the emergence of serial murder, given that a defining attribute of serial killers is that they prey on strangers, something, something that distinguishes them from the vast majority of homicides, which typically involve some form of prior relationship between the killer and the victim. The relationship between media and serial killing is, however, not straightforward, but widely circulates in the details of specific serial killers, the mass media establishes the serial killer as a dominant cultural category. One upshot is that, whereas in antiquity killing sequentially may have been something that someone did, Today, a serial killer is something someone can be. By placing the category of serial killer into wide circulation, the media makes the specifics of behaviour open for up to potential imitation. Although this is not to suggest that serial killing might be the product of some straightforward media effect, the media has also fo- fostered a culture of celebrity. In our predominantly secular modern inity, The prospect of achieving celebrity has become desirable to the extent that it promises to liberate individuals from a powerless being, making them known beyond the limitations of ascribed status such as class and family relations. So, that, that, well, I mean, the, the, the interesting thing is about, because this would be a tiny town, so by that argument, would would the, is the person more likely to be a stranger who killed them all? No. Well, there's a couple of theories. It could be that the va- village, the village, I was going to say, village, the village was pissed off. Okay. Because they had somebody who'd been to prison, living so bar- close by. There was incest, which was frowned upon even back then. Yeah, but the grumps weren't weren't murdered, and they were bad boys. But they lived very, very far away. They were on the outskirts, like literally. Yeah, but, still. Eh. but incest is a little bit more frowned upon, I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but people people can't keep secrets for a whole village no. to to do it. Um, it's 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 plausible, I guess, that they could, yeah. and explains maybe why they all turned up at the house to have a look. Then, After the, when the police were there, maybe they were trying to act shocked or something, or make yeah. sure it was done. I don't know. Exactly, that's why. And but then at the same time, in my head, I'm like, but that could be the morbid curiosity. Yeah, it seems more like that. It seems more like that. I think if a whole village had a conspiracy to kill a family, they'd they'd probably want to stay away. Yeah, but then the other theory is that it was in fact Schlittenbauer. He seems the most likely. Yeah. Even though I I I went against. That I think in moving the bodies showed that I don't know. I don't know. Well, it's, it's to me. If I was panicked and I was trying to find somebody I cared about, I don't think I'd have much um, 
much consideration for a crime scene. But saying again, the, the thing with the key is weird. And there's also something else as well. Um, former forensic psychologist Stephen Diamond spoke about a diagnosis called Amoxis syndrome. So, the Amox syndrome. During the incubatory stage of this is described as described by the American Psychiatric Association's DSM book, the perpetrator, who's almost always male, goes through a period of brooding, followed by an outburst of violent, aggressive and homicidal behaviour. In some, but no but mo- not most cases of mass murder. As with the Amok syndrome, the violence can signal the presence of a psychosis and is typically followed by the return to normalcy and full or partial amnesia for the event. Significantly, the Amok syndrome tends to be a pre- precipitated by the perceived slight or insult. This is really the key to the understanding of what motivates such evil deeds the perpetrator was somehow has somehow been hurt, psychologically wounded, figuratively castrated, insulted, disrespected, rejected, traumatized, humiliated, or defeated in some way, and seeks, at least unconsciously, revenge or retaliation. This primitive talionic response is fueled by festering rage, anger, resentment, and bitterness, which, when denied, disassociated, repressed, or chronically masked becomes pathological and potentially destructive. Could it be that Schlittenbauer, who was so pissed off at the family for the way they were exploiting him, had enough? Sorry, could you you just summarise that that term then in a sentence or two? You've gone into detail there, but can you just Sorry, did I go into too much No, it's all right. It's just just, I needed a, a summary. Okay, so it could be that a person feels, um, to use the words in by the psychologist that they could be no, don't use psychologically this. wounded, so okay. insulted. Is this somebody who's got an antisocial personality to begin with, or is this this no, a, this a completely is separate? A regular. This is a different psychosis. This is like an everyday. Oh wait, psychosis. Yeah. This is natural, full-blown psychosis. Yeah. Okay, not it's just called, somebody feeling like they're no, being it's shit called on. a mock syndrome. That's a psychosis's name. Okay. But it could be that you have been insulted you've been mentally castrated so for example steph mentioned a man who no i mentioned it son sorry john christie yeah about how he could only sleep with sex workers because the women in his life didn't want him as his sexual being yes that's mentally being castrated a bit like an incel yeah yeah and i'm sure me and nick one of us is going to touch on what incels are for those who in, don't. I'm going to do incels soon. Yeah, yeah for those who don't. Um, and then, and because they feel that way, they subconsciously want to seek to re, like, re, like retaliate or have retribution or revenge. But this, this kind of thing must be somebody who's got a pre-existing psychotic condition, surely. Not necessarily, no. Because most people, when they're... they're, they're you know, rejected or or um, whatever. You, they don't. It doesn't turn to psychosis. No. So they must have a pre-existing condition. I haven't got that bit of information. I have to be honest here. Okay. But from what I was reading, no. 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 Okay. Well, I can remember. I can't give you specifics and okay, citations. Yeah. But from what I remember, is no, it's a developed psychosis. So, so the 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 argument in this case is that. Uh, 
Schlittenbauer's um, felt so dejected by Liz's family, so cut off that he, he, I assume he wasn't seeing his son. Or... He didn't see his son, but he had to still pay maintenance. Yeah, so he felt uh, severely deprived of yeah. his... Uh, parental male, rights male power i guess yeah. in the situation so he had a psychotic episode and killed them all yes yes that's what said it's a speculation i mean it? he does seem top of the list he does seem he top does. of the list. he's got the most motive and he i assume being quite close neighbor knows the property he's got a key for whatever reason which is bizarre because if they don't like him why the fuck would they give him a key yeah and if they were exploiting him for money mm, yeah that's that's why. But like I said, this is all speculation. This yeah. is not. Us. Well, he's he's got motive and opportunity and means as well. Yeah. Because he who's to say he wouldn't have had that weapon in his farm. Yeah, I mean, it must be that kind of that kind of tool must have been everywhere yeah. during the time. I'm yeah. sure back in the day, farmers had loads of them. The last thing I want to look at, well, look at, is blunt force trauma. Yeah. Okay. So what that does to the body. Okay. Trauma, I'd imagine. <laughs> yeah. So, blunt force trauma is where the brain can be damaged by trauma in two ways. When the head is struck by a hard object that the cerebral cortex, our little grey cells, can be bruised. If the force of the blow is sufficient to cause whiplash, whiplash-like s- circumstance, then the injury can occur to the nerve cells, an axonal injury deep in the white matter of the brain, so in your f- the fluid of the brain. Mm-hmm. Injury of this type involves a variety of forces, including the acceleration of the object, the acceleration of force imparted to the brain by the object. Injury results from the direct contact between the object and the head, and the greatest injury to the head occurs from the initial direct impact with a blunt object. The area of contact may be large, such as a baseball bat, mm. Small, such as paperweight, or I don't know what have you thrown at me lately? Um, a stapler. I threw a tea towel at you earlier. You did, yeah. Not, not so much blunt force. Well, technically, you can get bl- blunt force trauma if you do it hard enough because you can get bruising. Can you? I bruise like a peach. Mm. But the velo- velocity of the impact will largely determine the extent and the type of the damage that's caused. Yes. We have learned through psychological study that people who aim for their face and their head are usually very angry individuals and usually have a personal grudge against the victim. Yeah. Blunt force trauma can leave a 3D-like impression on in the wound. They can leave characteristic marks to identify the weapon. If the wound was done by a sharp force such as a knife, they would leave an incised wound that has a re- relatively clean edge. You see the photos in the news the other day of that father who was attacked while he was protecting his son and half his head's now caved in and missing yeah, because of... Yeah, that's horrifying. It is, but it's incredible that a human being can still survive with that much of your brain. Yeah. It shows that we don't use all of it. I think that's a myth that we don't use all our brain. I think what happens is our brain compensates by moving, when it's damaged, moving one area of operation in the damaged area to another. I think it's a myth that we don't. We only use yeah. a percent percentage of our brain. Um. So nowadays, forensic pathologists can narrow down the weapon of choice very, very easily yeah. because of us being able to cast the wound. Yeah. 
Obviously, back then, they couldn't have, which is why they had to wait until the building got demolished to find the murder weapon. That in itself sounds a bit odd. I mean, how do they know it's the murder weapon? Because it was covered in blood. Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah. yeah. According... <clears throat> <coughs> Sorry. Um, Where was it found? Is there any information? Underneath the house. Underneath underneath the... Uh, yeah, because they used to be on sort of stilts, didn't they? Yeah, Almost. underneath the house. It was, there was like a cruel The police space. didn't check. No, no, no. They lost the freaking heads. Yeah, you were going to explain where these heads went. Oh, yeah. They just went... Oh, is that it? Is that the information so I was looking for? So basically, they couldn't figure out who solved the case. Like, who who solved the case? No, no. who murdered them. Yes. So they put them in the cold case refrigerator. Yes, and during an air raid, they got bombed. No, no, no. Yes, that got bombed. The Court of Justice got bombed. Yes. But because the refrigerators were still lined, yes. they survived pretty well. Yes. But when they went to make sure that there was no missing bodies yeah they found missing heads instead well somebody had taken the somebody had taken the heads and they Mm. to this day have never been found yeah what is with that um nazis liked schools they did like maybe they're used in the ss rituals and maybe maybe the groupers have been used in the ss rituals that's pure speculation by the way guys but I don't freaking know. No, I mean, if you if you want a head, it's probably a good opportunity to get one. Yeah. In mm. so according to Erist High and Kurt Wattle, a couple of forensic pathologists, the motive for murder differs from each country and region. The question for motive is murder is always a central and key element of a legal investigation. <clears throat> motive from the view of the offender is defined by as the perceived apparent or claimed reason or rationale for the commission of the crime was the official legal terminology okay uh, dr robert margulis who is an emergency physician states that about the greatest areas of vulnerability when it comes to blunt force trauma and he says quote it is anywhere the fact that a blow to the nose can produce tearing, as it almost always does, means that you can't see what is coming, and that puts you at a tremendous disadvantage for the rest of the attack. Yes. Once you have te- tearing, you don't know whether the aggressor is reaching for the weapon of any kind, so a blow to the nose, certainly a blow to the eyes, would render one at a great disadvantage. It sounds like he's giving tips. Yeah. There are places that are more likely to produce devastation from the initial blow. And those would include, again, a blow to a nose. If it is properly delivered, an aggressive can break the nose an aggressor can break the nose bone and drive it up into the brain. A blow to the temple area where the skull is relatively thin can cause a fracture in that area and tear the underlining artery. It's like in Rocky too when Apollo Creed gets punched and his nose yeah. goes um as a Rocky reference for you. This can produce permanent disability and can even cause death. <clears throat> A blow to the back of the neck can dislocate the spine and cause paralysis or death. These are the things that one does not really have to be trained martial artists to do. Blows to the nose, blows to the back of the neck, to the throat are examples of empty hands that produce disability or death. Head and face trauma has an interesting aspect to it. It is not just that somebody has been hit in the face, but bleeding and swelling of the tissues can lead to airway blockages. Bleeding in the mouth can lead to swallowed blood, 
which is very irritating and can cause vomit, which puts someone at a disadvantage, but also leads to the risk of asphyxiation. That is, the vomit is trying to come up and out, but you're trying to breathe in. You suck some of this stuff down into your lungs. All of these things can become fatal, even though this is the broken jaw and a little bit of bleeding. Hmm. On another note, last thing, I promise, blood spatter. Yes. So, nothing about the blood spatter. It doesn't seem like you could kill a baby in that cot with that weapon. Do you know what I mean? No, I know. It, it seems, seems too, too heavy. Big. Yeah. You'd, seems you'd too crush big. the cot and the baby if you, yeah, you hit it. At one it. hit. Yes. And that the hood of the cot was still there because they found yeah. brain matter on the hood you'd, of the cot. You'd have to swing this thing quite in a large arc to. to, to because the baby's head would be underneath the cot, wouldn't it? Yeah. Oh, sorry, underneath the uh, cover, the hood. Thank you. So yeah. it doesn't seem like that was the murder weapon for that. That's the only murder weapon they found. And he, even in the maid's bedroom, I mean, swinging something that size around is You not... saw how small her room was. Yeah, it was tiny. And that, But if you notice, there's very little blood splatter on the walls or up on the ceiling. And how did she die again? Bludgeoned seven times to the back of the head. But wasn't she asphyxiated as well? No. Oh, that was somebody in the barn. Victoria. Oh, okay. Yeah, it seems like it in the house it was probably more likely a smaller weapon, surely. Yeah. Which, why is that other weapon? And if, yeah. And I, I don't know, it's hard to figure out who died first, the people in the barn or the people in the house, but you'd think the people in the barn would die first. It is first. common, commonly profiled and most records of what I found stated that the people in the barn yeah. are the ones that died first. So, like, the argument I'd say is because if you were going to go straight into the house, you don't know where all the people are and there's six people on this property. Yeah. You're going to bump into somebody. Yeah. So it seems like he caught the maid by Because she surprise. was unpacking. Which, it just, seem, it just seems silly just to walk into a house where there's a property where six people on and not expect to bump into anybody. Yeah. It's like he, to me, the <clears> murderer <throat> had decided, I'm going to lure these people out into the barn. Yeah. Kill the most prominent ones. Because when I say Marie had a disability, she was short-legged, as in yeah. one leg was longer than the other, yeah. as well as... She, the phrasing of her sister in the police report, she was dim-witted. Mm. Yeah. Which, so, and she was found unpacking her clothes with her back to the door. Yeah, she'd take it by surprise. And so, as a murderer, you would think, pick the strongest first. Yes, that would be, yes, most, most sensible. Yeah. And but, then, it, well, he didn't. He didn't pick the strongest first if you attack the small girl. Yeah. But maybe the small girl, like I said before, was a way of getting the strongest person, Out. people, into the barn. Yeah. You know. And the, the fact that it seems like, because if he, he took the murder weapon from the barn to the house, there'd be blood all over the house The murder from yeah. the murder weapon. But he, there was none found. It seems like he probably killed the person in the barn, chucked the, that weapon underneath the house. And then went into the house with yeah. something different, or but he would also be it. covered in blood. Um. Well, yeah, yeah. But Although there didn't seem that much because the hay. I guess hay would soak up blood quite well. It would, well. and there wasn't much in the photos. Well, there, there must have been. So they were killed there, weren't they? Yeah. So I'm guessing because hay's quite. 
I don't know. I just remember playing on hay as a child. What a lovely childhood. I yes. <laughs> just, I remember it soaks up. It like, does soak up. They use hay to soak up, a, hence why they use they soak up animal urine and Yeah, they put it all over stuff. a farm yard to soak up rain and stuff. That's yeah. what I remember. So that doesn't surprise me. There's probably not that much blood in there. But, but there would be up the walls, across the ceiling... In the house, that would yeah, yes, because as when well you, as, as we know from Doctor Henry Lee, when you the the um, the most telling bits of blood splatter come not from the impact, but when the the weapon is lifted up away from the body, and that's where you see you can tell how big the weapon is, that kind of thing. A blood spatter due to head or face or neck wound would have a cast off pattern. Yes, that's what it was talking of... about. Cast off. That's right five feet per second but less than 25 feet but it depends that depends on the murder weapon no well it, it does well yeah but if you, you do with a screwdriver you, it's gonna be different than doing it's it with gonna be a smaller five foot per second because you've got to it's comparative to the weapon of choice so let's say you've got a a block that's what what i'm saying is if an axe would the 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 cast off pattern would be over a much longer distance than it would be if it was a shorter weapon a medium velocity blood but there's no comment on about the the blood that's splattering the the house is there no you can't see any on the ceiling you can't look if you if i go back to the photo of marie there is no blood there's a bit here. I was like, oh, maybe this is blood splatter, like but then mold. it doesn't look like blood splatter. No, it, it looks, looks like, like old plaster. Yeah. And the only blood that you can actually see is the tiny little bit under her head hand here. That's it. Yeah. I mean, th- th- there might be blood splatter a bit because it can be small droplets, but yeah. you'd think with an axe that's gone, was it four centimetres into her head? A four it? centimetre wound. That's a deep, deep. Cut. You'd think there'd be something on the ceiling if it was a large weapon. But there is nothing on there. And that's you know, not a door, a large... by the way, that's a wardrobe. Oh, that's what I thought was a door. That's why I said it looked like there was a key yeah. inside it. No. And, but if I go back to the photo of the um, barn. Yes. You said earlier that you've spotted that blood pattern there. Yeah, but the the, the photo is quite grainy. There could be a lot of blood towards the back. Yeah. Because that's where their heads are, and if they were beaten, the the blood would be... But there would also be blood splatter on this bit here, and there's not really... Well, again, it's a black and white grainy photo. We can't can't really tell so much. And it's it's a textured wall, so it's even harder. But blood splatter does happen, and it is... You can't really wipe it away. I know back then they didn't have luminol. I'm not no. saying that. No. But they don't really have anything to get rid of it. But this is why my head is a little bit... Maybe it was the village. Maybe they came round to clean. I don't think clean. I, I, do, I can't see that happening. I, I get where you're coming from. That just, to me, seems a bit... It's a, a bit, bit far-reaching, I know. It's far-reaching. I think you've just got to... It's it's the times when blood splatter pattern isn't going to be analysed or anything like that. And you've got a material there that they're all laying on, which is going to soak up a lot of blood. So it, it seems like they were probably killed there. And I'm going to stick with 
You're with the assumption with that. that they were they were brought in, lured in one by one yeah. somehow. I've since first hearing about this case, that's what I've gone. They've been brought in one by one. Yes. And and then the the killer has then gone to the maid and then young Yosef last because he's probably forgotten. If he had forgotten that there's a baby there, the baby's cried out, and then he's like, "Oh, another one." Yeah. I think whether Schlittenbauer is guilty or not would depend entirely on I know you're not you're not going to be able to get it now but a detailed report of his relationship with his child if he had any kind of closeness to that child no. whatsoever no Victoria I mean I know Andreas. it doesn't always work like that I mean like Chris Watt still murdered his children yeah. who he, he probably did love so it's not always an indication that they, they might have no empathy and no no feeling towards their but child whatsoever. it wasn't his relationship with Yosef wasn't his choice. It mm. was Victoria and Andreas. Well, then that that would lead, you'd think. Um, I mean, I guess, again, Chris Watts. But you'd think that that would lead him towards being more of a suspect. Yeah. If he if he had, I mean, it could be financial. I mean, and anger. I mean, you don't really do it, it to a whole family, but there was fin- financial. Like <clears throat> basically, each month Schlittenbauer had to pay them a thousand marks. Is it? Is that German? Yeah, I mean, during that time, that that might be a lot. There might not be a lot. Hyperinflation was around. A thousand yeah. marks could be fuck all, really. But no, it was a lot of money. Okay. That's all I can remember is that it was okay. a lot of money. Yeah. And the one report I did said said, said a thousand. Okay. And I mean, it might he be, had it might to pay that each to... month as well as keeping his own farm yeah. running with his own children and his new wife. Yeah. I mean, I guess the, the other alternative is that it was a random, uh, well, not random, but a, a, a predated killer, a, a serial killer. Yeah. Who'd killed them, and then you have to start looking whether there are other incidents like this, people killed in the same exactly. method and, and things like that. But as we stand, that is currently the case of the Hinterkaifat murders. Oh, it's a genuine mystery. And it's obviously bored you because you're yawning. No, sorry, I'm not yawning. I was opening my mouth loudly and exhaling hair. Yeah, hair. Air. Air, mare. Yes. No, that was that was. Um, sorry, I got a bit bogged down in the night. It was just because everybody was everybody called was Andreas or Cecile, Cecile or Josef. Josef. But yeah, no. Once we got into the meat and potatoes of it, it's it's yeah, it's a fascinating crime, yeah. and it's. Um, I guess it'd be it'd be a shame if it ever did get solved because the the mystery is is sort of the. Uh, no, I'd like for it to get solved. No, I don't think I would because it's it's a guessing game, then, isn't it? it keeps you you thinking. What what's happened here? But I'm so glad that police work has come so much further in it that we're yeah. not losing heads. I don't think every... where it's going to be in another hundred hundred years. We'll yeah. probably see now as being quite antiquated. Well, and it we is have... nearly. We've only got two more. Oh, will we have? Oh we'll my have God, we've sex spots. Two more years until it's been a hundred years. Mm. That's a scary thought. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I was talking about sex bots then. I know, and I was ignoring you. So, I think we're going to leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just in case you want to carry down on this conversation of sex bots, I think it I'm going to let you leave it there. Okay, well, next week we've got my cousin Catherine. Katie. Catherine. 
who is a some kind of science woman. Microbiologist. She's not a microbiologist. She's a virologist. 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 Basically, she works with vi- viral diseases and such. Yes. Virologist. There we virologist. go. I managed to get it out. There we go. Yes. And I don't think we've got Steph again with us next week. No, we haven't. She's so, still doing her film and Owen is... is he might be working, he might not, I don't know yet. But we'll find out. Yes. Well, you guys will find out when we find out. Yes. So, on that note, thank you for listening. Final words? Um. Don't be creepy and live in somebody's house, but you have the right to stay spooky. What? I mean, don't live in somebody's house that you're not welcome in, okay? Yes. And I'll say the future... Pardon? Have you the same pet? No. I'll say the future probably is that we will all have sex with robotic... (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. Is that it? I wanted to listen to more horror and gore. No. Let them carry on with their day. If they want to find us, they can find us on Facebook at Crime Clips and Coffee Podcast... Twitter at CCNC Podcast. Instagram at Crime underscore Creeps underscore and underscore Coffee underscore Podcast. If they want to listen to more, they can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Castbox, and all podcast apps. But for now, before she interrupts again, I think we should say goodbye. Bye!